This episode of The Energy Pipeline is sponsored by Caterpillar Oil & Gas. Since the 1930s, Caterpillar has manufactured engines for drilling, production, well service, and gas compression. With more than 2,100 dealer locations worldwide, Caterpillar offers customers a dedicated support team to assist with their premier power solutions. The Energy Pipeline is your lifeline to all things oil and gas, to drill down deep into the issues impacting our industry. From the frack site to the future of sustainability, hear more about industry issues, tools, and resources to streamline and modernize the future of oil and gas. Welcome to the Energy Pipeline. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Energy Pipeline. It is me, your host, Jordan Yates. And today I'm here with Sam Sledge, the CEO of Pro Petro Services. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me and thanks for hosting us. Yeah, apparently you're kind of a big deal. Oh, Anytime gosh. we've said Sam Sledge is coming on, they're like, what? How no. does that feel? No, that that's uh, I'm, I'm just one part of a big team. That's yeah. all I am. Oh my goodness. You're so polished. <laughs> or do you, I guess you probably really mean it. You, you seem sincere. <laughs> I do. We, we, uh, we're, we're big on the word team. We, we, we try and get the word employee kind of out of our vocabulary, mm-hmm. uh, because you know, I'm a, a big sports athletics background and yeah. I think we're playing a team sport. So that's awesome. Well, Sam, before this, I had hinted at the fact that your journey at ProPetro has been quite interesting. I mean, you started all the way in a technical position, and now you're the CEO. That's mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. You have really climbed the ranks. Can you tell us about your journey at ProPetro? Sure. Yeah. I, I think I, it, it makes sense to kind of go all the way back to the beginning. I'm born and raised in Midland, Texas. Okay. I'm third generational field services. So my, my family on my dad's side has been in West Texas in the oil field service business, uh, mostly drilling uh, before I got involved in frac since the uh, 50s and 60s, wow. really. So um, really grew up not knowing any different, hanging yeah. out at the yard with the welders and the truck drivers um, and just being around the business and the machinery uh, was just really kind of how I grew up. So went to school in Waco at Baylor University, played a little football while I was there. Wow. And knew, always knew I wanted to make my way back to oil and gas, but didn't know which part of oil and gas I wanted to make my way back to and ended up getting pulled into the service business um, in 2011 with mm-hmm. ProPetro. So this is still my first job. Wow. Um, in 2011 and took a job to just kind of learn the business from the ground up and, and in, a, in a very entrepreneurial, fast-growing company. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up being really a great decision. I don't think I really knew what I was doing at the time, but learning a business like ProPetro from the ground up and being able to put my hands on equipment, drive trucks, and learn how to do all that inside of a company that was growing extremely rapidly. And I just kept raising my hand for the next challenge and the next role and whatever the next thing we needed to figure out that we weren't doing. Um, And I think you would find in our leadership team, my story is not necessarily unique. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of people that joined the company around the same time that were up for a challenge to help grow a company. Um, And we just found ourselves kind of year over year with more responsibility in a bigger company um, we went public in 2017, and I kind of found my way back to my business and finance roots, where my education is, mm-hmm. um, and then began to grab onto more administrative parts of the businesses. So we had a little bit of turnover in our leadership team in 
2020, 2021. And I just kept raising my hand for the next challenge. And, yeah. and the board gave me the opportunity to kind of take the next step and lead at the next level. So it's been great. Do you ever have to pinch yourself and be like, I can't believe I actually made it this far? Like, or yeah, does it feel you, natural? You know, it's, it's, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I grew up um, in a very entrepreneurial family yeah. in maybe the most entrepreneurial part of the world, Midland, Texas. I mean, it's, I think Silicon Valley and Midland, Texas are probably <laughs> yeah. the two most entrepreneurial places in the world. So yes and no, because all I've ever known growing up, watching my family uh, start and run businesses, watching my friends, mm-hmm. families do the same thing that I always just thought that's kind of what you did. Yeah. And then you go to school and you develop kind of a new group of friends and you find out, wow, that's not really what everybody does. <laughs> um, so in a way, I always knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. I didn't know that this is what entrepreneurship would look like mm-hmm. for me. So, um, you know, we're a little over 2000 people right now. Wow. So to think that I was going to be 36 years old and running a running a business um, that had that many employees um, at this age was definitely not my plan. It was, it was probably more on the smaller, more, you know, agile side of entrepreneurship than this, but it's been great. Look, I've got a great team. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's fun to come to work every day. There's plenty of challenges to address. Um, So we're going to, we're going to keep doing it. So this isn't a question I had prepped, but hearing your your journey, I just I'm curious. Did you ever read any books that made you feel like this is kind of motivating me, helping me with my entrepreneurial like goals? Was there anything that ever like inspired you in this journey? Yeah, I don't know from an entrepreneurship standpoint, but I've I, I think the older I get, the more of a reader I've become. If mm-hmm. I could go back um, and change one thing about kind of maybe my more formative years in high school and college. Uh, I would have probably read a little bit more, but I think um, less so about entrepreneurship and more just about self-awareness and leadership books mm-hmm. like Stephen Covey's seven habits have that been is literally huge. my favorite book. Yeah. I've read it almost four times, wow. maybe three and a half times probably due to do that, that one again. Yeah. And another one of my more recent favorites is dare to lead by uh, Brene Brown. Okay. Just developing that kind of leadership awareness um, has been huge and, a list of others behind that, but those are definitely two of my favorites. Yeah, no, Habit 2 was definitely my favorite. And then I would say the only thing I struggle with is when I read any sort of quote unquote self-help books, I become obnoxious and I start (laughs) telling everybody Uh, what they can do better in life. And I, I become a bit unhinged, but I think as you grow and you seem to have digested them a little more maturely than I have. So I, I love that for you. <laughs> but no, I can, I can relate. And I think everybody in my family would probably, will probably laugh when they hear this yeah. because they probably just say the same thing about me. <laughs> hey, well, you're the CEO now, so you did something right. Okay. Um, but I want to move on to ProPetro. It is definitely a prominent name in the industry. I think clearly a lot of people know who you are, but can you give us a bit more of an overview of the company's roles and contributions to the Permian Basin? Sure. Today we are about the fifth largest pressure pumper in North America. Um, We're probably up a couple more spots than that as it pertains to the Permian Basin here. So our competitors are companies like Halliburton, Mm -hmm. Liberty, Next Tier, uh, ProFrac. Um, I think what's really unique about ProPetro is that we're an 18-year-old service company. Rare. Very rare. Right? Um, Whether M&A, whether bankruptcies, the, the, the volatility in our part of the industry is is quite something to weather over that many years. So we're really proud to have a really resilient business model that's yeah. very 
operational centric and very customer centric because we're a service company and that's what we're here to do is serve our customers with quality operations. Um, today we're operating about 1.4 million horsepower, most of which is Caterpillar. Go Cat, our <laughs> By the sponsor, way, we can talk out. a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, and that is about today, in today's terms, about 15 frat crews. Uh, we also have a top five submitting business in the Permian Basin and, you know, probably a top three wireline business in the Permian Basin as well. So frac Cement, Wireline, that's our focus right now. Mm-hmm. Our legacy business has operated in a couple other service lines, and we've kind of migrated to clean up our offering to a more focused bundle of services uh, yeah. inside of those three that we think we can be best in class in. That's nice because I know service companies sometimes they get, you know, the itch, oh, I can make more money doing this and adding this. But it's nice when you're aware enough that if you can keep your capabilities focused while not counting out the option to expand at some point. But it's nice that you guys are so aware of that. Yeah, focus from a service line standpoint is a big deal for us. And geographic focus has been a really big deal for us. We have one small submitting operation, Vernal, Utah. Shout out to the Vernal guys they do awesome but they're literally less than one percent of our revenue yeah um so 99 percent and change of our revenue is coming from within 120 miles of where we're sitting right now that's nice and that we found that that geographic focus has really been a competitive advantage for us we're we call ourselves the home team a lot (laughs) we're the we're the boots on the ground solving problems uh taking things head on out here uh in the permian Thank goodness there's plenty of business here. That's right. Know, keep you That's busy. That's right. We'll be here for a while. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, as many people are aware, and I'm sure you're aware, there's been many changes in the Permian Basin throughout the years, albeit technology or sort of just the morale. Can you kind of highlight what you've noticed in your tenure at ProPatro? I think we're in the midst of, well, there's there's been a ton of changes, but <laughs> one of my favorite things to talk about is just what I call the general industrialization of Mm -hmm. our industry and really the service sector more than our industry because the service sector, we're the people and the equipment and the businesses that are on the front lines of that industrialization. So what does that mean? Well, it's more wells per pad. It's sourcing fuel and materials closer to the Mm -hmm. well site. It's streamlining things like, like, like logistics. And there's a lot, a lot of opportunity in in that um, arena to think that we're the most productive natural resource on this side of the world, yet we ship all of the oil and gas molecules out of the basin to be refined, just to bring them back and use them again. Um, And I think a lot of companies and people are starting to solve for that. And I think the opportunity that that's going to create for businesses like ProPetro, for businesses like Caterpillar, but really for national security and, and energy reliability on this mm-hmm. side of the world is going to be huge. So we're, we're, we're really excited to be doing some things in that kind of more industrial manufacturing type of transition to really mature our industry and make it much more resilient. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting how you said you guys in the past typically are sending your your oil and your gas, you get it refined, you bring it back, use it as fuel. And something we've had a few conversations about over the past couple of days is actually utilizing field gas and putting yep. it back into like the DGB engines. And I personally think that's cool. I didn't realize that was a thing before because, you know, you can only know so much about every part of the industry. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you guys are doing? Totally. 
Okay. Yeah, we're, we we do that in in very close partnership with our customers because mm-hmm. almost 100% of the time you're using less conditioned field gas that is literally coming from a well site kind of just down the road. And that's, yeah. that's a great example of kind of industrializing. It's well, the fuel is here. Let's use it. Um, and, and I would say on almost five of our 15 crews today mm-hmm. are being field gas powered in some way. Wow. Uh, so we've made, uh, two years ago, that was zero for yeah. us. So we've made a ton of progress in that arena. It lowers our cost to operate. It lowers our customers' cost to operate. And that's just plays to that opportunity that I talked about a minute ago to lower the cost to produce a molecule or a barrel and increase the opportunity for oil and gas on the global scale. Absolutely. And so like when I hear examples like that, I'm thinking you're saving money, but you're also being more environmentally efficient. Can you kind of touch on the other things you guys are doing to help be more sustainable in this environment? Yeah, for us, um, I mean, we, we're not shy about it. We're, we're capitalists. We run a for-profit business. So love it. the numbers and the profit definitely lead the way for us. That said, we live here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to take care of our community. So when there's opportunities to do both of those things together, that's to, to us, that's what sustainability is. Yeah. Um, I think things like ESG and sustainability have been extremely misconstrued in the last few years. Sustainability to us is building a business that's going to be, that's going to go another 18 years, just yeah. like we have from now. Um, and that is also going to be a good steward of the community, the environment, the people, um, there's a lot of cool things going on in, in Midland and Odessa right now as it pertains to schools, hospitals, and infrastructure. And being able to steward a business through a community that needs development in a lot of those things, that's, that's also in our definition of sustainability. So the lower cost we can provide the, at a higher quality, that's going to continue to allow us to do more of those things. Yeah, I think a lot of times we get really caught up in the metrics of like, how much carbon are you emitting? Um, How much money have you spent? How much money have you made? And I like that you're from here and that you can actually look at it so holistically and think, you know, like this is part of our community. This isn't just, you know, some people come here, they work their two weeks on, they leave for their two weeks off, but you are very integrated in the community. And I feel like that gives you better insights as a CEO leading a company. Here. No, no doubt about it. That kind of goes to us calling ourselves the home team yeah. out here. So we, you know, if we can help, if we can work alongside customers at the well site and we can also work alongside customers to do things like build new schools mm-hmm. and fund, fund new hospitals, um, initiatives like that, that, that is really, really strengthens the service company EMP bond. Uh, because like you said, we can, we can create more holistic kind of community wins. And it's really fun to be, um, you know, here at Ground Zero to be able to see some of that happen. We're not just shipping our money across the state, across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're enabling our workforce to actually help with those things. Yeah, that's amazing. So I love the wholesome side, but let's get into challenges. Yeah. What challenges have you noticed lately, whether it is at ProPetro specifically what you've been facing or some industry-wide challenges you've noticed? Yeah, I, I think our challenge at ProPetro specifically, and, and I'd like to think many, if not almost all of the companies probably here at the Will Show today are struggling a bit to adapt to that industrialization that, yeah. that I talked about earlier. Um, especially in the Permian Basin, the entrepreneurship that's existed out here, we've been really, really good, and I say we collectively, at growing Mm -hmm. things. Growth is not the goal anymore. 
to that kind of broader sustainability comment, it's predictability, it's consistency, it's low cost, high quality. And for ProPetro, we were a very aggressive growth company, 150 employees to almost 2,500 employees pre-COVID. Wow. Grew hand over fist every year for almost 10 years. Um, we got really, really good at growing. And if we're challenged to do so again, I think we'll, we'll continue to execute on that. But today it's, it's not, hey, staff up and crew up and put that next team out mm-hmm. to serve a new customer. It is, what can we do to optimize what we're doing today? How can we get every extra hour out of an engine, out of a power yeah. end, out of a fluid end? And that takes, um, I think we underestimated the culture shift that would take definitely from a mindset standpoint yeah. from we're the people that grow to we're the people that operate optimally. Um, and talking to friends and other businesses around the community, I think we're all on the service side struggling with that a bit. I think we're making massive momentum and we've seen some really great things happen in the last couple of years and we'll continue to make yeah, it's make some improvements. It's crazy on the service <clears throat> side because my first job ever in oil and gas was for a service company and they did facilities and they would do like modular facilities and everything was like so like fast and hard and like we needed yeah. it yesterday and we were like looking on Craigslist for like things that we could find and ship to the customer because we said we had it, but we didn't. And so it was like that mentality of just like, we will pay anything to get this right now. And then I switched to manufacturing and it's a bit slower. You think like mm-hmm. years out. And I've noticed this sort of like convergence between the two where it is starting to like, hey, let's think about the future differently now. Like we know we can make the money. We know we can evolve, but let's kind of slow down and actually think things through, like you said, and have that wholesome sort of sustainability mindset. Yep. Um, on the flip side, though, we talked about challenges. What about opportunities? What do you see evolving in the future coming in, whether it's something you legitimately think is going to happen or something you hope to happen? I think for us specifically, first thing that comes to mind is continuing to transition our asset base into things that burn more natural gas. Mm-hmm. That is top of the list right now. We're doing that through... Uh, tier four dual fuel and and electric, um, and I, I by this time next year we'll probably be more than two thirds natural gas burning across, mm-hmm. you know more than probably fifteen or a little bit more than fifteen frac fleets. So we were a bit late to the party on that <laughs> because we were really back to my comments about kind of sustainability. We were skeptical in the economics. Yeah, these these you know things like a tier four tier four dual fuel engine. They're a little bit more expensive than the the traditional diesel tier two, um, but we saw that change in really late in 2020 and 2021, and that's when when we began very aggressively transitioning our fleet, and we'll and we'll continue to do so um, at some rate. We're operating seven Caterpillar tier four dual fuel fleets uh, today. We are about to take deliver start to take delivery of our second E fleet here in November December, and we have two more E fleets coming. Um, very first part of next year. So that's a massive opportunity for, for us to continue to evolve our asset base to be as competitive as possible because mm-hmm. the EMP sector is, is asking of that. So yeah. there's, there's quite a divergence or a bifurcation happening in the pressure pumping market of companies that are doing that like we are and companies that aren't. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's probably the biggest opportunity that comes to mind. The other thing is probably continuing to find ways to industrialize mm-hmm. and do more with less and shorten supply chains and value chains and 
be more efficient internally really yeah. is, is probably what I think of next. Yeah. I, uh, I've heard that some companies are like still kind of holding on to their old engines and assets and they're using them, but they're just adding on these like dual fuel ones and the e-frax, like all of that. Is that true for you guys or are you making the shift fully and sort of letting go of your old equipment? We've on our, um, we've, we've, reti- we've, we, we've retired quite a bit of equipment in the last couple of years. A lot of that is just because it's, it's reached its useful life, mm-hmm. uh, but more specifically around our dual fuel conversion program, uh, we've chosen to not put on aftermarket kits yeah. on any tier two stuff. And we've tried to develop a more uniform fleet of new Caterpillar tier four dual fuel engines. And we've, we found that that has helped us quite a bit from just an operational consistency and continuity standpoint, trying to push the envelope on gas blending and things mm-hmm. like that, where we can have, uh, like a, a what we call a DGB strike team that is bouncing around helping all of our crews maximize uh, diesel displacement in tandem with our Caterpillar partners here on the ground. Uh, it's very helpful for every location they go to basically yeah. looks the exact same. Yeah. So it's really just managing the people that are operating that equipment, not having to manage through um, any additional mechanical issues mm-hmm. that we could or couldn't create on our own. So it's a very uniform. We've been very, really since the onset, interested in that Southwest uniformity model. It's harder to maintain that inside of an equipment transition like we're seeing now to more natural gas burning equipment. But if you can make just your dual fuel operation uniform, we found that very helpful from an operational standpoint. Yeah. And this may be a silly question, but how do you retire an engine? Like, where does it go? They're so big. Like, like yeah. you can't just throw it away. Like, do you know what happens with them after? Yeah. So um, on the tier two side, a lot of the engines that we have retired here in the last few years, I think Caterpillar's bought back, bought the cores back from yeah. us. Uh, whether they recondition them or, you know, melt them down for the steel. Um, I'm not sure. But I think one thing that's going on in our industry from an equipment retirement standpoint that I think is really healthy is literally letting old equipment that's reached its useful life just die, period. Cut up, scrap. Um, Because one of the things that has created more volatility in our sector is that we've probably held on to too much equipment for too long. Yeah. And then, time letting go. And then when things cycle up, we build too much too fast. Oh. And then you have this just whipsaw of too much equipment and and what and how that affects the cycles is something that Propetro is trying to fix and I think a lot of other uh, players in our sector are trying to fix as well. I feel like it's a good thing you had a financial background in school going into this. Did Do you feel like it kind of prepared you for that cyclical nature of watching these trends or is that something that you just did not understand until you had more experience? The cyclicality, no way. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think, and I still, don't, I, don't, I still don't feel that prepared for it. I guess I've seen two or three pretty good down cycles in my almost 12 years, 12 mm-hmm. years, yeah, 12 years. Um, and every cycle is different than the last. Yeah. So I don't know if the volat- I ho- Hopefully with a lot of the things we're doing and our customers are doing, we're pulling some of that, some of that cyclicality and volatility out of the business to that mm-hmm. kind of industrialization I've mentioned. Um, but you'll never get it all out and every new cycle will be different from the last cycle. So, um, 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because especially we had some episodes where we talked about circular economy and sort of the Caterpillar, how they buy back their engines and they're, you mm. know, whether they're refurbishing them or melting them down, whatever they do, that it is nice that we have that sort of focus on the circularity. But you can only take a linear economy so far into circularity before it just doesn't make sense to make everything circular. But it's, That's right. it's nice that the leaders like you are thinking of these things and we're not just going hard and fast and like, how do we make the most money right now? And like... Like forget about later. Right. Um, right. But of course, you know, right now with the political climate and everything going on, everyone's always like, how are you doing more green energy? What is more green? What is cleaner? Like, do you guys have sort of a metric or a standard that you strive for that you consider green? Or like, how do you guys measure your green goals? Is I, I guess it's kind of open-ended. Yeah, and, and I would say our... Our customers, our upstream EMP partners, get a little bit more pressure mm-hmm. on those types of things than we do. So, we we want to be fast followers as it pertains to technology in our industry, but as it pertains to our customers' needs yeah. around that, and to really partner with them and say, "What's the goal here?" Mm-hmm. Um, and and lately, in part of that goal, it has been things like lower emissions. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're thankful to have a customer base here that's interested in doing that with the right economics yeah. that I mentioned earlier. So our, our goals broadly are just to continue to transition to more natural gas burning equipment. It's mm-hmm. just a, it's a, it's a cleaner molecule that's more readily available closer to the well sites. Um, and, and we think that that from an environmental stewardship standpoint is probably the best thing that we can be doing right now. Absolutely. And I feel like we've touched on a lot of industry-wide challenges and things that we've seen happening with you guys at ProPetro and the industry in general. But I'm curious, as you, as Sam, as a leader of a company, what challenges do you face personally? Oh, gosh. Prioritizing every day. <laughs> Prioritizing and managing time. Yeah. I'm, 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 a, I'm a pretty confident person. I work with a pretty confident team. And I think when we're doing that well... Mm-hmm. There's really, there's really not much that that can hold us back. Um, that that said, um, and this has been a major learning experience. You know, I've been in the CEO seat for two years now. Um, is understanding how to use my influence inside of a big complex team to push that mindset change mm-hmm. that we talked about earlier to away from growth and more to optimization. Um, that's been a quite nuanced, complex mm-hmm. effort, yeah. I guess, that I think changes every day because your team's changing all the time. So that's really heavy on me, you know, when I walk into the office or visit operations on a, on a daily basis is what, how can I conduct myself? What words can I use to help my team adapt to what this new normal is? Yeah. I mean, you carry a lot of weight, you know, being at the top of a company where it's like the things you say, like they're going to be taken heavily. Sure. You are an important More heavily person. than I thought they would be is really? what I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> Ever had to learn that the hard way? Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. <laughs> For sure. Those lessons always uh, stick the best in our mind yep. though, you know? Yep, definitely. <laughs> well, I, I've loved this interview so far, but one more question I want to ask to wrap it up because this question is kind of near and dear to my heart, but a lot of young people around my age and uh, younger that are coming out of college maybe aren't as excited about the oil and gas industry. Yeah. What would you say to them of like words of encouragement or like, hey, come work in this industry? Like, what do you have to say to the young people? 
Yeah, you know, um, I had a, I had a chance to talk to a group of uh, college petroleum engineering uh, students not too long ago, and I think I think the main word there is set your emotion aside and study the facts about how we power our world. Mm-hmm. Um, you take a sober approach to just what the energy looks like across the world combined with how many people are l- living without adequate energy. Um, selfishly, as an oil and gas guy, it's pretty exciting yeah. because I'm, like I said, 36 years old. I Hopefully I got a few more decades in me. There's a lot of work to do in this industry uh, overall energy demand continues to grow year over year. And the only way we'll be able to keep up will be with a reliable, efficient, economic oil and gas sector. Um, and on top of that, I don't think you'll find a more smart, diverse group of people and skill sets in any industry than the oil and gas industry. For whatever you want to study in college, there's something for you to do. In, in the oil and gas industry. Um, and there's just a ton of opportunity. And I think lastly is, is for, for people that want to do their best and succeed because we have been an industry recently that's a bit starved for human capital. Mm-hmm. It's creating more opportunity for those people that want to come alongside businesses like ProPetro and help us. Um, so... I, I, I would think if you don't have, as a young person, kind of oil and gas on your list, I think uh, I think you need to consider it. I'm I'm a bit of an example of what is possible to mm-hmm. join a growing, budding company in an industry that's going to be here for decades to come. Um, and if you want to work hard and keep raising your hand and take on another challenge, sky's the limit, oil and gas industry. Well said. I'm feeling inspired. I'm about to just <laughs> All right. go home and work real hard. Um, hit me up in 10 years, see if I'm a CEO. Cool. <laughs> right on. I don't know. I, I feel like management, that's a lot. I'd have to read a lot more books first. Yeah. Um, but guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Energy Pipeline. Sam, thank you so much for yeah. coming on. This was great. Um, we will link Sam below all of his LinkedIn and ProPatro's website and all that so you guys can check them out. Um, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Come back next week for another episode of the Energy Pipeline, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.